You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast, recorded at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas. This podcast features interviews with the faculty, members, and staff who are a part of Ollie at UNT's community of lifelong learners. To learn more about our program, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu, or send us an email at olli at unt.edu. Now, let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I'm speaking with Emily Bowles, a graduate student in history at UNT's master program, and Hannah Stewart, a 2019 graduate from UNT in education, currently working as a middle school history teacher. Welcome, Emily and Hannah. Thank you for having us. I've been looking forward to this, to having a chance to talk to you both about the St. John's Remembrance Project. It has intrigued me since I first heard about this remarkable venture. The aspects of this program are significant and interesting in so many ways. As I understand it, your involvement began with a unique public history research seminar designed by two UNT history professors, Todd Moy and Andrew Torget. Would you like to speak a little bit about that? It was almost exactly two years ago because it was the spring semester when we started. And it was a hybrid class. It was a mixture of graduate students and undergraduate students. And I needed to take 18 hours in order to graduate. And that fit in my schedule. So I decided to take it, having absolutely no idea what it was going to be like. And it ended up being the most fun class. And Hannah? I was signed up for a different history class, and they put me on the phone with Dr. Torget. I ended up in this class as one of my electives for my master's in education, and it turned out to be a lot of fun. The public history research seminar was entirely different from any seminar that I can remember ever being in. It didn't have your required readings and your text. They had developed an idea that would come from research by their graduate and undergraduate students, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, it was primarily research-based. They did make us read a few books just so we understood what a freedman's community is. And then it was, okay, now go find it. We started broadly with just freedmen's communities. And what are freedmen's communities? They are where after the Civil War and Reconstruction, we have a whole bunch of African-American people coming together, living together in distinct communities on their own, but totally separate from the white communities. Usually on the outskirts of the larger white communities in the less arable land, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, The less desirable land is where they would live. They would congregate there, but they were economically solvent, independent, economically independent, and just kind of kept to themselves, usually on county lines, which is where Pilot Point was. But it was four or five weeks of one book or thesis or dissertation or something with a book review. And then they sent us off on our own after that. Dr. Torget gave a very amazing podcast interview here last year on January 16th. So I encourage the listeners to look that up. He was very interesting. He's a fascinating teacher, a Guinness Book of World Record holder for giving the longest consecutive history lecture in the world and a talented author. And I'm not surprised he'd be involved 
in this interesting project. So that's my little blurb for a former podcast. Now, the two professors got graduate students and undergraduate students together, and they had you read about Friedman Community, so you knew what that was, and they were aware that there might be one here. Is that correct? They had learned about the cemetery, and they knew from the dates and some preliminary research that they were freed slaves. St. John's Cemetery. Yes, because they had done, I think, like a year's worth of research prior to creating the class around it. So did they give you their research? They did. They gave us, um, we just called it the dump. They just, they gave us the dump of all of the information. It was like a quarter drawn map of the cemetery with a couple plots noted on there. There were death certificates. Had either of you ever done anything like that before? Absolutely not. No. Did they give you an idea of where to start? Not really? Well, just kind well, of? in our well. groups. Yeah. Each of our groups had their own chart. Okay, so you had yes. teams or groups, mm-hmm. yes. and you two were in the same team. We were team one, W-O-N. Team one! <laughs> we <were the> best. <laughs> Actually, I was not originally in their team. I was in a group called Pilot Point in Context, mm-hmm. where we just did like broader Pilot Point research, and then we made a trade at the All-Star break, and I was sent to the people of St. John's. So where was St. John's? It's not very far from 377. It's in Denton County in Pilot Point near Lake Ray Roberts. It is surrounded by private property, as I understand it. Okay, so people can't just go check this place out. No. Okay, they need to have permission. You have to have a gate code to get in. So just to get it clear, they gave you information that they had about St. John's Cemetery. Mm -hmm. And was St. John's Cemetery a part of a freedman's community? Yes, it was attached to the St. John's Baptist Church and the community was centered around the church. And did the community have a name? It's known as St. John's. To us. To us. (laughs) So most freedman communities centered around a church and a school and and the The school was in the church. So St. John's school was in the church and the community was really centered around that building. And what did you find out about St. John's Cemetery? We went on a field trip there. They took us all out there in March, and we went on a field trip there, and we didn't, nobody knew what to expect, and no one was expecting what we saw. What did you see? Uh, Overgrown, completely uncared for. Yeah, run down, forgotten. No one had responsibility for the upkeep of this mm-hmm. cemetery. There were headstones knocked over, like giant, beautiful headstones knocked over that we found out was the result of cows running through mm-hmm. the cemetery. We've all taken our kiddos out there, or Micah and I have taken all of our kiddos out there, rather. And in doing so, and with the negligible upkeep of the cemetery, my little girl, Sadie, tripped over as yet unknown headstone. So we hadn't found it yet. It was covered under leaves when she came crying with a bloody knee to me, telling me that she was attacked. Uh, We were like, okay, whatever. And we went over and uncovered it, and and we had not seen that headstone yet. So that was very cool. So she had her own part. She did have her own part. She she did. She tells me that she thinks about those people often and that she talks to them at night, which is a little bit creepy. And who was buried at that cemetery? All of our people. The, uh, The people that we came to know and love. A lot of people from... A man named John White, yeah. I think, was the first one that we saw. Mm-hmm. Right the Isaacs. 
the Isaacs are right there when you walk in. Where had they come from? A lot of the members of the St. John's community came from Chambers County, Alabama, where they were slaves. So they were freed slaves from Alabama, primarily? Yes, a lot of them. Some of them also came from... Missouri? Missouri. Some of them went back to Missouri after. Mainly, at least where my search led, it was back to Chambers County, Alabama, where they were formerly slaves. And a member of the St. John's Baptist Church in Chambers County, Alabama, which still exists. Yes. So how did you feel looking at these tombstones, discovering who the people were? It was sad. Was it? The first day, I'm going to be honest, I was very underwhelmed. Because I expected some old gothic home cemetery, you know, with like vines and aura. I would feel something and I was like, okay, this is a cemetery. And there's really only about seven or eight actual headstones. And the rest are rocks that they carved into. So did you go on a search of who these names were? Was that your next step? Mm -hmm. Yes. So that first day before we had even been split into our group, I was like, okay, so we should get some names down. And I just started taking pictures of the headstones. And then from the headstones that we could read, that's how our search kind of started. But that was all before we had even been assigned to the genealogy group. How did you do that? I used my dad's ancestors. Ancestry.com account. Sure, yeah, yeah, and that's a good way to get started, right? Um, yes, and find a grave was helpful. Yeah. Family search was also helpful with records and stuff later on. And you had people of all ages? Yes. Children? There are at least two infant plots in there. One along the back wall, along the back fence, and it's marked off. There are lilies planted in a big large plot with a bunch of just small rocks without anything carved in them now. They likely had an initial or something to just denote little tiny graves. And that was very overwhelming for me, was seeing that the first time. And then as soon as you walk in to the cemetery immediately Mm -hmm. to your left, there is another one. Another infant plot with multiple grades. Mm -hmm. So what was the result of all of this? If you had to explain to someone what St. John's Remembrance is, what is it? It's a community of free people who came over to North Texas hoping for a new start. And they came and they faced challenges here, but they made a life for themselves. They faced some really hard stuff, but a lot of them succeeded. And it was really... It was a beautiful project to get to be a part of. I've had a lot of local history. After we got the names from death certificates or headstones or whatever, we would look in the portal to Texas history, another shout out to Dr. Torget, and go through old newspapers. And there was one that had a column, I think it was the Dallas Express, the black newspaper in Dallas. There was one that had a column that was called Texas Towns, and it was straight gossip. And it had a little header of, it would say Gainesville or whatever, Denton, Pilot Point, Austin, any small Texas town. And then it would have a paragraph or two of just rumors or who was visiting who or who was seen coming out of so-and-so's house or who finally got married. And we found a couple of our names in there. And there was one woman who went away for a weekend and like came back with a husband. (laughs) So we know that despite everything that we've learned in history about how difficult the time was, they still had autonomy and they still got to be people like it wasn't. I got roped into the class by talking to Dr. Moy because I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. If we're talking about dead people and babies, I can't do that. And he said to stop thinking about them as victims 
and think about them as actors in history because it will make you more prepared to learn the good things about them as well. Were there any survivors of this community? Was there anyone that you could talk to about the community? We had a guy named John White, yeah. who is a descendant of John White. John White. <laughs> That's one of the first headstones you see in the cemetery. And he was very helpful. He was related to everybody and had his own family trees and stuff that we were able to use. It was very helpful. Did he have pictures and things like mm-hmm. that? He had some. Yeah. He had it. Yeah, he he brought in like a photo album. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the names we didn't know because they were a, either like a different part of his family or something. But he did. He provided us with the photo of what we believe is the church slash school. Oh wow! The only what one, fun. and it's a it's a small group of school children standing in front of it. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yes. So okay, you're at the cemetery. Yes. And there's a school. So can you talk a little bit about how all this rounded out? What did you find? What happened along the way as you did your research? How this is so significant to us as people living here in Denton County. These were also people in Denton. It's just a story that we've forgotten as history's gone on, as time has gone on. As we kept researching, our whole first semester was just about finding out who they were, how they were connected, and what kind of lives they led. We came up with many biographies for every person, and in doing so, we would, there were six people in our group. In doing that, we would double, triple check everyone else's work. Oh, that's terrific accuracy. Even though we had five people each to research, we ended up knowing every single person very well in there, and then it became an obligation, a duty, to remember them correctly, to remember them accurately, and to... To present their lives in a one to two paragraph short biography on this website as more than just old dead people. More than just a name on a tombstone. As as, humanizing the history. As moms, as dads, as brothers, as sisters, as farmers, as the one rich guy in the community who had his own till. The family who got tuberculosis and five of them died within a six month span little things like that that were so important for us to tie the entire community together, but then also make it accessible to somebody who doesn't know anything at all about the community, who doesn't understand why this would be significant. Had we stopped our research there, it would still be significant because like Hannah said, this is a not insignificant population of Denton County at a very important time in the United States. And it's a cool thing to know. If you're at all interested in local history, then you should know about this, right? Right. So when you were at the end of the seminar, people, um, all the different teams got their information, and did they bring it together? Did they bring it together somewhere specifically? Yes, we have a website. <laughs> you um, do? We do. We have, a, we have an can online Can I go museum. to that website? Absolutely. Oh, how do I do that? It is called Uncovering St. John's, and it is on Omeka. I think it's Uncovering St. John's, Omeka.com backslash Uncovering St. John's, but I'm not certain. So each group had a different charge. And so on the website, there's the people of St. John's. That was our group. There's St. John's in Context, which is the history of Pilot Point and St. John's in Pilot Point. There's church life and education, 
where they looked at the different churches in the area and how they might be connected to St. John's and then the different freedmen's schools and stuff across Texas to kind of give it more broad context. There was the Freedmen's Community Group, which did Mm -hmm. Texas, focused mostly on North Texas, but more broadly Texas Freedmen's Communities and what they were like. And there was a link to a short little blurb on each known Freedmen's Community in Texas. And then there was the Oral History Group. And they took oral histories from everyone who remembers. So there's an oral history from John White on there, the man who brought in the photo album. Uh, There's good stuff. That sounds so important because that kind of thing can so easily get lost. Now, as I understand it, the St. John's community started to dwindle around the 1920s. Were you able to discover the reasons for that? Well, not that semester. However, and so you went on. We from did. the seminar, after the seminar. We did. How'd you do that? What'd you do? Uh, we begged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were not met with resistance, but we fully expected to have been met with resistance. So we had like a spiel all set up and ready to go. We had a syllabus, like this is what we want to do. And Dr. Your Target, business plan. Yeah, Dr. Target was just like, okay, cool. I mean, he was much more excited than that. But So it was like independent study then? And he supervised you? It was, yes. That's terrific. Good for you. Me, Hannah, Micah Crittenden, and Jessica Floyd were the four from our larger group, the genealogy group, who decided to continue. Jessica was still an undergraduate, and Micah and I were in our first semester of graduate studies in history. And she was in her last. So we were all over the place, but we met every Monday. We had a little room reserved with a whiteboard, and we brought in markers and made jokes and yelled at each other for (laughs) making jokes. And then would go home, all do our independent research, and meet up the next Monday again. But in doing that, when we suggested it, or when we asked and begged and pleaded, Dr. Torget, can we please continue our research? He said, sure thing, and then he sent me an email over the summer that had a link to a lynching article that was written in the the Denton Record Chronicle and said, this might be interesting to you. And then that is what ruined our lives. No, it didn't ruin our lives. That is what changed the entire trajectory of our proposed study. In what way? In that our pretty early on research showed that when they were searching for the two men who went missing and were never found again, which I'll get into, Mm -hmm. they searched the St. John's community. They searched that specific geographic area. And so it is safe to assume that the two men who were stolen from the jail were either members of that community or visiting members of that community. And because of that, because Denton County has always boasted a, the fact that they've never had a lynching, it became very important for us to, to either prove that right or wrong. True historian researchers. So you discovered from this article that there had been men arrested for horse thievery, right? Yes. And I, I saw the article, and I believe there was a, the unsigned note at the local newspaper office saying they got what they had coming. Mm-hmm. That had to have gotten you all charged after discovering about the people, the people becoming very real, and then knowing that this sort of thing was happening. So as the community was starting to dwindle, they were facing some real racial violence. Economic hardships, disease, and racial violence were the three main things, and racial violence was the one that we focused on mostly that semester. 
And what did you discover? That it was not a one-off. That it was uh, not a one-time. It was not happening. A, it was. It was not a freak accident. It was very much on trend with the larger South history of lynching, and not isolated in any way for Denton County or that community. Now you had Hannah. You had done some research regarding KKK activity. Yes. Ku Klux Klan. Yes. So we looked at the economy. We looked at disease, and then we had racial violence. And within that, we had three subcategories where Emily looked at police and Micah looked at just like violent acts. And I looked at the Klan and it was shocking. What was that? To see what we found that where we had typically believed there wasn't much racial violence or Klan activity at all that all kind of went away really quickly and as we started going through newspapers and we eventually brought all of our research together and realized that when there was a spike in clan activity mm-hmm. there was a spike in black arrests and there was a spike in racial violence and then there was an immediate lull there wouldn't be any arrests for a while after an act of violence on a black man, woman, whatever would happen in Denton County. Then there would be a very quiet lull time, and then there would be some more clan stuff, and then it would just, it was cyclical, and it seemed to always be instigated by clan activity. You mentioned there was an article about a lynching that Dr. Torget shared with you, and I think that was in like 1922. It was. It was in December of 1922, and before we get into that, I'll tell you that while we were doing research for that, I found an article, because I went into the portal of Texas history, and I searched Pilot Point lynching, and the 237th article that came up or something like that, it was hundreds of articles later, was from 1911 when two young black boys were, they had to be whisked away by the police because a white mob was after them. Their names were Jim and Roscoe Girton, and they were accused of scaring a little white girl in her front yard. And because of that, a mob got going. They were arrested by the Pilot Point Police, or the Denton County Sheriff's Office, rather, and they were taken to jail. And then the police station got word that the mob was on its way and they had to be taken to Aubrey and then the Aubrey police station got word that the mob was on its way and they the police went to great lengths to protect these two young boys from this white mob. They were never hurt however a mere 11 years later their dad Sam reported two horses missing to the police. He didn't name any names but two unknown still to this day black men were arrested for horse theft. Luckily, Sam's horses were found just the next day in his field. Was Sam the father of the Sam is the father of Jim and Roscoe. So there is a connection there, and we don't really know how to tie it in yet. Um, We don't really know what it means, but it's definitely notable enough to, to talk about. The two men were taken to the Pilot Point Jail and left there overnight in an unlocked cell. In the backwoods. Yes. It's 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 in the boonies. They left them totally unguarded, unlocked. Middle of nowhere. The next morning, the two men weren't there, and there was a note tacked to the editor of the Pilot Point Post Signal's office door that said, let this be a warning, Negroes get a job, or 
get out of town, they got what was coming. And after that, in the two or three months leading up to that, there had been several arrests for loafing. And after that, it was 10 or 11 months without a single arrest. And people fled the community rapidly. They did? Yes. So that had a lot to do with the community dispersing. It did. It also happens to coincide with a very significant Klan parade that happened on Denton Square. Wow. And what did you do with your research? Did you present it? We did. Hannah and I were able to give an Ollie talk. We were very lucky to get to give one at Robeson Ranch. It was very, very cool. I was a private teacher for five years, but that was for three-year-olds. So this was a little bit new to me. I think I was very much less comfortable than Hannah, but she killed it because she's used to middle schoolers and they're almost adults. So how did the people receive this information? How did the Ollie audience, what did they say about all of this? I think it was also shocking to them because I think the story that has been out for a while has been that, no, we were pretty peaceful and us coming in and saying, no, that's not the case. But like, here's what happened and people have been pretty open to receiving that information and changing how we view the local history. Have you given any of the city council, the commissioners, anyone this information? We gave a speech, the four of us. Hannah, Jessica, Micah, and I gave a speech to the Ditton County Commissioner's Court to get funding for the cemetery, for it to be maintained. Good for you. When we did it, it was very, very, very nerve-wracking. Peggy Riddle at the Office of History and Culture for Denton has been instrumental in helping it. She arranged the commissioner's court speech for us because she is just as adamant as we are that this place needs to be preserved. Micah and I met with her, I think, two other times to talk about funding for the historical marker, which Micah is currently writing. So we can't speak to that, but we know that it will be done well since it's our our girl that's writing it. Yes, Peggy has been incredibly helpful for us. The Denton County Commissioner's Court was very receptive, but then it was no longer the uh, judge that we spoke in front of, but rather Kevin Eads, who was sitting to her left at the time. When he took over, he reached out to us again through Peggy and said, I would like to know more and how can I help? And so that has been just the coolest thing. And we were able to secure some funding to help maintain the cemetery and maybe get a new fence and a sign, a sign, hopefully. So what's left now of that community? The cemetery. The cemetery. That's all we have. The church is gone. There is a St. John's Road that we know the church was Mm -hmm. on about a mile from the cemetery. But for now, it's the cemetery and our museum. So commendable for what you and those others that worked with both of you have done to bring all of this history together so that the people of that community aren't forgotten, both in what they built, what they were able to achieve, and also the hardships that they faced, which is so important to remember as part of our history. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to remember our past. Yes. Absolutely. Because it makes us what we are, and it helps us grow in the future. Definitely. Micah and I are both moms. Um, I have just one little girl, and she's got three. And uh, all of our girls have been out there to the cemetery and know the people's names and care about it as much as we do. And, And my little one is just 
five and a half. Her oldest is 11 and then four and three, I think, are her others. It's the kind of thing that if it's not passed down, it is forgotten. And we realized that in doing this research and in how limited the oral history options were because people didn't know. If they weren't alive, then they didn't really know, save for John White. And so I think that that especially has affected us. And seeing the care with which those little infant plots were taken care of, that was really something that got us too. We all talked about wanting to do something and um, something significant for these people that we could leave there for them. And after racking our brains and realizing that we were all incredibly poor students, what Micah came up with was just a small little bouquet of flowers. They were metal and they have a little stand, no vase or anything like that, but they sit right next to the gate. So when you walk into the left, you can see our little metal flower bouquet. And That's so beautiful. I can't thank you both enough for talking to me today about something that is just such an important, important part of our history and also the unique way that it came together it's an incredible story, as I say, in so many ways. And thank you both so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. This has been Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas with Emily Bowles and Hannah Stewart. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to our previous interviews, which you can find on our website, olli.unt.edu slash podcast, or by searching for the Ollie at UNT podcast in your favorite podcast app. While you're in the app, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. We also encourage you to share our podcast with your family and friends. Join us again next week for another episode.